What's up, everyone? Welcome to Dipped in Tone. I am Rhett. I'm Zach. And we're back for another episode. Tell me all about Starfield. I got to know. Oh, man. Starfield. Uh, so I love it. I didn't. I knew it was one of those games that, you know, I, I like Fallout. I like Skyrim. I think I'll like this, but I really like it. And one of the reasons why I like it is because you can just in any of these games. Have you played any of these games? Yeah, yeah. I, I played Fallout 3 for years. Okay. I played Skyrim since it came out I've, and i've got fallout 4 but i don't like it oh see i love it but i like i like all of them but um do, do you are you like me in that you love stealing things from people's homes and and workplaces because <sighs> <No>. that's <laughs> like wait in real life or in the video game no just in the game not in real oh, okay life. okay let's clarify that for our listeners please <laughs> Because the way you said that it seemed like if someone just jumped in really at that into moment, shoplifting, yeah, <laughs> do you like committing uh, burglary? Well, anyway, in Starfield, like like picking locks and then stealing people's spaceships and stuff is like really fun for me, and okay. uh, my son really enjoys it. So I've been just I've just been uh, gallivanting right around the galaxy, <laughs> stealing uh, spaceships. It's been, but is it it's been a is hoot. it is it what you thought it was going to be? Because I've seen some disappointment online from people that said it's basically like they should have waited 10 years to do this game. No, it's it's a no, it's fine. It's a video game. It's like, you know, I, I, I enjoy it for what it is. You know, mm-hmm. the, the people were were boohooing that you couldn't. And sorry, all the guitar listeners we will get to it. Um, <laughs> people were boohooing that you couldn't like walk all the way around a planet. First like off, like, why would you ever want to do that? And second, you can fly to another place. It's fine. So yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun. Nice. So wow. yeah, I, I hope you get in there, man. I want you to get in there. The problem is, I it's only Xbox or PC, and I don't have yeah. an Xbox, and I'm not like a, enough of a gamer to justify a PC. Look at all so, that stuff behind you. We can fit a computer in there. You just hook it up yeah, to that monitor. Could put, this is a server rack, actually. That is what that is. Like, perfect. Yeah. Um, well, that's <laughs> what about cool. you? Well, we've been uh, burning the candle at both ends around here i'm actually currently on a bit of a sabbatical um Mm. we have so i've been i've been doing this gig this whole youtube shenanigans for five and a half years now full time and uh as along with playing and touring and all that stuff and and everything and haven't really taken a break in like five and a half years and uh got a little bit of the case of what you call burnout so Mm. we are currently uh at, at the time of this airing my wife Tilly and I are gallivanting around the beautiful state of Colorado with our uh, camper and our FJ cruiser and driving through some mountain passes. And Tilly's got a big bike race uh, we're shooting out there called the Rad, big gravel race. She got hired by a, a pro cycling team to go shoot their rider. So I'm going to help her out with that. I'm going to be like her assistant for a few days and filming and all that stuff, which is actually a ton of fun for me. I love doing that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what's been going on. Just trying to get all the, the loose ends tied up before we head out for a month. So sure. Yep. Well, before we get into the meat of this episode, I thank all our, our friends over there on Patreon. Uh, if you want to join the community, go to Patreon, uh, the link in the description below, and you can learn all about our tiers, how to support the show and be part of our discord group and the little community that lives over there. And by the by, you might have noticed we've not dipped as many rigs lately, and they all get submitted with Discord. You get access to Discord through Patreon. We need some fresh rigs. And if you've submitted one in the past and we've not done it, or even if we have and you have a different rig, send us send us your 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 gigging rig. Guitar, pedal board, amp. Yeah, we, we'll re-dip. Like, 
we'll we'll double dip. (laughs) Double dip the rig. Yeah, we'll double dip. It can't be the same rig, okay? We we need some some variation here, but we will double dip. uh, Fresh rigs only. Yeah, fresh rigs only. Um, So yeah, patreon.com, links in the description. It's also in the show notes if you're listening to the show. Uh, Great way to support what we're doing over here. And uh, I want to give a quick shout out and thank you to our sponsor of today's episode, which is Sweetwater, sweetwater.com. Anything you need, you want to start your own podcast, maybe you want to compete with Dipped in Tone, you want to take over, you're going to need some gear, you're going to need some microphones, you're going to need uh, maybe one of those podcasts, uh, the, the roadcasters, which I have the mm-hmm. first gen of those and they're, they're pretty sweet. All that they're stuff's really on nice. sweetwater.com, links in the description. For the show today, we have the one, the only, Mr. Eli Lester of Two Rock. I'm super excited. Eli is friends with both of us. We've We've all become a little friend group here um, and and we like all sorts of different things not just guitars so yeah you've you've known eli eli quite a bit longer than i have i only met him this past nam but uh yeah you'll see eli and i spend more time talking about old porsches and old cars i think than guitar amps and stuff but uh without further ado here is our interview with the one and only eli lester from two rock eli what's up man welcome to the what's podcast guys how are you good thanks for joining us man Oh, it's great yeah. to see you both. Yeah. So uh, my first question, tell me all about Car Week. How was it? Uh, Car Car Week was awesome. Uh, I'm out here in California, so we do the Monterey Car Week every year. I take the whole week off work, um, cruise down. I actually took first place at the uh, Monterey Open, which was super cool, which was totally not expected. I just cruised down. I have an old Porsche 59 uh, 356. Drove down and... One first place. I wasn't even there for the award ceremony. I walked down the road and we're getting a drink and stuff. And someone called me like, dude, where are you at? You just won, which was <laughs> unbelievable. Awesome, so man. It, was, it was a fun week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen pictures of your 356 and it's, uh, it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, man. You, you, uh, you seem like you're a man of many hobbies. Yes. Like. <laughs> I, I, pretty much. I'm always building something. Either I'm building a, you know, guitar amplifier or, I restore hot rods, build chassis. I do metal working classes all over the, the world to travel around on English wheel. And I just like building stuff. So if I can get behind a welder and English wheel or solder, and I just, I'm always have hands into something. So what was first, was it, was it cars and metal work and restoration or was it guitar and guitar amps and stuff? hundred percent guitars and guitars amps. Um, I, uh, Parents were musicians. So I played in a band with my dad since I was about 11 years old. So I've been gigging since 12, 13. Um, that's all that I've ever done is play guitar. I was a guitar teacher prior to two rock. So I've always just built, built guitar stuff. Um, did guitar and amp repair for years um, at the shop that I was teaching at in the back room and always was in a, I used to play rockabilly bands back in the day. So I was buying old fifties and sixties Cadillacs and couldn't afford to have anyone fix them. So I would just had to learn how to do it myself. Just like that's kind of how I got started with guitars and amps also is I couldn't afford to pay someone. So I just had to figure it out. Did you ever have any formal training and all the like electrical engineering side of like building amplifiers or is it all just like self-taught and things like no, that? No, it's all, it's all self-taught. Um, you know, we can go in the whole history of two rock if you'd like to digress and all of that. But I started off back in the late nineties. Everyone was playing the Digitech, you know, processors and all that stuff. And I was, always into vintage stuff. So I was buying old, you know, old Fender amps and Marshalls from the, you know, black panel and amps for a couple hundred bucks. And I was modifying them. So I think, you know, freshman year of high school, I had a amp pig SVT head that I'd bought for 
you know, 200 bucks and put a gain channel in it and old basement hand amps and modified them. And that's just, I was always in there and everyone was buying modern equipment and I was buying old tube amps and figuring out how to make them work for guitar. Yeah. You know about Zach's old Cadillac, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He, uh, like I, I, every now and again, um, Eli will send me a message about that thing. And, and every time we, we talk about it and every time I see any of Eli's cars, I'm like, man, I really got to restore my, my Ecto one. One day I will do it and I'll, I'll have a proper Ectomobile to cruise around Nashville. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I've been doing a, I've been doing a 60 Cadillac for about five years on that restoration that you've seen pictures of. Mm-hmm. And that was a built a custom chassis and decided to chrome every piece on the car. And that's, Looking forward to that one being done. Man, that's, oh, yeah. I'm going to, yeah. I mean, I want to do my best to not just talk about cars the entire episode, but <laughs> the first time we met was this past NAM in, what was that, April? And yeah. uh, I think we talked about guitar stuff for maybe 30 seconds. You were like, yeah, this is the new amp we got dropping. And then it was square bodies and 911s and everything else from there. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So, okay. I have a question. You, you were mentioning, back in the, you know, in the nineties, you were modifying these amps and, and getting into the stuff. Where were you getting your information from back then? Was it all forums? I mean, this is obviously way before things like YouTube and, and all this other stuff, or did you have a, a mentor that was showing you or were you just kind of figuring it out yourself? Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think about, but back in, you know, I graduated high school in 2000. So back in the late nineties and mid nineties, there was no YouTube. There was a little bit of harmony central. If you go on like the old geo city site and you could read about stuff, but there wasn't, there wasn't information. So it was library books, trial and error. My first job when I was 15 was I worked at a stereo shop doing like old Kenwood, you know, solid state receivers and stuff. And I was changing power cords and little stuff. So I was pretty confident with going in there and digging on it. But, you know, getting the old Fender schematic books and just lining it up with finding parts and, tripping it out. There was a guy in town, uh, Ron Vale, Uncle Spot Amps, and he used to write an article for Vacuum Tube News Magazine. Do you guys remember that one? Before my Can't time. No, man. Okay. It was, it was <laughs> no, a publication don't. that came out once a month, and they used to do like preamp tube shootouts and stuff, and they let me do all of the demos for them when they would do preamp tube shootouts. So this was like probably 97, 98, and we were just a bunch of you know geeks in there going, this preamp tube sounds like this, this preamp tube sounds like that. This one sounds like this. Uh, Ted Weber was really involved in that group back in the day when he came out with that copper rectifier cap and he sent me one of those to try out. And I was one of the beta testers on that back in like 97, 98. So just there was that group of old, older guys that were pretty helpful of getting started tweaking on stuff. That's so cool. So when did you get into building amps? I kind of got in more of the modification side of it more than scratch builds so to go backwards when i was i was actually playing with robin ford i was touring with him um with the ford brothers we were the opening act for it and he had his dumble amplifier and same thing this was pre-internet so i was like i'm gonna go to guitar center and grab one of those things that's that seems like a good idea and obviously that didn't happen and that's when i got to know bill crenard who was the original founder of two rock and this was back in probably 2001 or two and started hanging out with him and he would give me all of the two rock amplifiers to take on the road and play with and tweak. So I would take, take, you know, the old amps and say, yeah, you know, when I'm playing live and I have the gain on with the mid control, it kind of gets brittle, this and that. So I kind of started working with bill just on tweaking them and whatnot. So that's kind of how all of that started. And you mentioned playing with Robin Ford. So tell us about that. How did that come to be? 
Uh, I was in a rock and Billy blues band and we just got the opening slot playing at the San Jose blues festival. And we got to do about a dozen shows with him, but that was the first time that I saw, you know, the high end boutique dumbbell amps and stuff in person. Yeah. I got to see Robin right before the pandemic here in Atlanta. It was like literally a week before everything shut down. He was playing at city winery and pretty small, smallish room, you know, three, 400 cap room, but that was the first time he had his double, you know, the one, right. And the room was small enough that you're basically hearing the amp on stage. You're, you're hearing stage volume and hearing Robin play his amp in the room. That's what really made the dumble thing click for me. It's like in the right. hands of the player that the amp was built for, especially a player like Robin Ford. It was like, okay, now I, I, I get what all the hype is about. Now I, I hear it. I see it. I couldn't make that amp sound that way, but in the right the in the right hands it can be just biblical right yeah and, and fortunately every time i plug one it it still sounds like me playing through it <laughs> before we get into like everything else can we just keep keep the talk going about kind of like the progression into two rock from there like after you met bill and sort of you know tweaking the amps with him and, and discussing that how how did all that how did your involvement come to come to be um, as, you know, as now the, one of the owners of T-Rock. Um, yeah, like, like I said, I was, I, I was a customer, you know, it's one of those, I'm one of those people that can say I was one of their biggest customers. And every time they came out with an amp, I was the first to get it and was selling everything I had to get the next model and got to know Bill really well with, with, you know, tweaking circuits and just playing around with it. And that's how I met Matt Skinner, who's the partner of T-Rock with me now. And I came in probably 2003 or so to pick up an amp and he was, he was working there and about the same age, married kids, you know, just getting married. Nice guy. We became really good friends. And then two rocks sold to premier builders guild like 2011 and stayed on for a little bit as an artist, did demos at the NAMM show and whatnot, but eventually just kind of left. Uh, Max stayed on as the general manager. And then early 2016, Premier Builders Guild was kind of disbanded and was, was, you know, just closed its doors and they gave Mac and I first right of refusal to buy the brand. So we bought two rock and called Bill and got Bill back as, you know, doing some design and consultant for us, which was really cool. So got everyone back together and, you know, we literally got a dumpster and threw away chassis and everything and started from ground zero. And that's where we're at now. It's been a lot of fun. So how was the process you know, taking it back from Premier Builders Guild to getting where you are now, was it was it challenging? You, you mentioned having to start at, at ground zero. So were you just redesigning circuits from the ground up or were you taking some of Bill's old designs and, and reworking them? Yeah, uh, luckily, I, I was already playing around with Bill on an amp that turned into be the classic reverb signature. And ironically enough, right before we bought the company, we were doing video clips of that amp you know, for just a potential model that maybe he was going to do something with, or, you know, we didn't know. So we already had that one kind of in our back pocket. And that was one of the things in the back of our heads, like, well, we do have this thing that we could use. That would be really cool. Uh, so it was just, and the trajectory has been, been really good. I mean, I think the company's in a better place than it's ever been. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's something that, that I've seen having played a bunch of the older stuff. Um, well, you know, I played, I played some early ones, and then some of the the PBG stuff, but it, it feels like now everything is just this level of refinement. And that's one of the questions that 
you know, people know that I have a, a handful and, and, and I, I adore them and talk about them a lot, but people often ask like, like what's the thing about these amps that, that makes them so good. And for me, it's just, there's this amazing connection that you have to these amps when you plug a guitar through a pedal board or especially straight in that not many other amps have like try as they might. Sometimes there's, there's just this disconnect. And I feel like with the stuff that you guys do, there's, there's nothing between you and the app, but a cable and it's all on you to, to make it work, but they're so responsive and, and dynamic and they have such a great sound. But if you were to distill what the two rock sound is, like, can you do that? Could you say this is what your goal is with every amplifier? I mean, for me, it's really how the amp feels more than how it sounds, you know, because uh, if it doesn't feel right and you don't get out of it what you put into it, it's not fun to play through and you don't enjoy it. So you really get out of it what you put into it. And that's like I said, it's really how the amp feels. It needs to be comfortable to play. And, you know, we're, we're, we're priced at the top of the market. So guys do come to us and say, Oh, this is crazy. You can buy a hot rod DeVille for a thousand bucks. And, and I'm like, yeah, you absolutely can. And you can play your show and you're probably sound the same. And no one in the crowd will really even notice that it sounds different, but it's not inspiring for you to play through it. And it doesn't feel good. So we build them for the artist, not for the, for the audience, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. There's like this. So I'm relatively new to the two rock thing. You built this one for me you know, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Um, and I had the opportunity to take it out on a few shows recently. But before that, I had never really played a two rock until, you know, outside of like a music store or something like that. But uh, in February, I was on tour and we played in London. And because of, um, we were coming from the Netherlands because of, of Brexit and everything, we weren't allowed to bring our back line into the country. It was a, a huge mess. And so, um, luckily a, a friend of mine, Luke Bowman lent me his two rockets, the studio signature 35, the, yeah, yeah. the smaller guy. Yeah. The smaller guy. And, um, it, we were playing a small club and I had the amp set where I like it, you know, kind of edge of breakup, lean into it, but the master volume turned down like almost as low as it would go just to keep the stage volume in, in check. And generally when you do that with an amp, they can kind of start to fall apart and this didn't it held together and now after spending a few weeks with this one i think if i was going to describe the sound the two rock sound it would be fidelity there's just it's like there's more information coming out of the speakers with this amp than with other amps that i've played or owned over the years and i mean you and i have talked a little bit one-on-one about you know where that might come from but you know i know you put a ton of detail work and thought into not just the circuit design, but things like, you know, your pot choices and and little detail things that maybe I think that's where this fidelity is coming from. Yeah. I, you know, I always say it's just got more bandwidth. It has more lows, more highs. We're looking for as much information coming out of there as possible, but yeah, component selection is, you know, we have parts made for us. We have our potentiometers made for us, capacitors made for us. We, you know, we get in the weeds on a lot of that stuff and, we're always, you know, tweaking out on one little piece at a time. And even the vintage deluxe we came out with, and I remember the traditional clean and all these amps, we've had 10 or 15 of them boxed up, ready to go out the door. And I come into work the next day and go, guys, you're going to kill me, but we got to pull them back out because I want to swap this one part. So if you come, you know, 
we play at the Torch Club in Sacramento about once a month, and I always have my amps out of the chassis there. That's one of my places. So I always have amps out with alligator clips and screwdrivers and adjusting trim pots to find right values. So you always nothing nothing makes it exponentially better, but this makes it one percent better. This makes it two percent better. I like this. So component selection is you know a really big deal. How we actually build the amplifier you know, is a huge deal. There's a lot of stuff we do that just makes it a two rock. And, you know, I, I get to build and help design my ideal guitar rig. That's what we're doing. We don't build something for a price point. We don't say, oh, we need an amp that's going to be a two channel, you know, with reverb that's going to cost us 2,500 bucks out the door. We just tweak and tweak and tweak and tweak on it until we think it's perfect. And then that's that's where it's at. I, I've had, I just, we just, released the chorus and, and you know you saw that and one of the first comments i got on my demo was why is it so expensive <laughs> which is i don't know i don't think most pedals are not that expensive but that's something that it's so hard to to make really clear to someone if they're they're shopping for a product like why it's worth that price and i think that what you just said really speaks volumes as to why the two rocks are worth that price and the thing that i mean that's one of the things that you could ask i'm sure all the time is you know how, like how do you justify that price but to anyone else that would be like belittling or, or not belittling but maybe just inquiring ragging on the price yeah like right. how, how do you how do you like how do you convey that message to people that, Hey, this is truly worth it. And it's not just because we want to price it that way. I mean, one is it's hard until you play the amplifier. I mean, you see the, the artist roster and the players that we have playing our amps. So once guys actually get behind them and take them on a spin, they go, okay, I see why this is the price point you're asking for it. The other thing people don't, I think take in consideration sometimes is we hand build everything in house in California. So we hand drill every hole, put every eyelet in. We have our chassis made across the street. We have our transformers made in California. All of our employees have medical insurance and 401k, and we treat people good, and we have an actual business. So it's people add up just the sum of parts and go, oh, I can buy these parts for X amount of dollars and build it at home. But we have an actual business and a dealer network and warranty and take care of our customers. So it's not as much profit as people think. And I think I know, Zach, you can, you can empathize with that. You know, people uh -huh. go, Oh, you're making all this cash. I'm like, you know, building vacuum tube guitar amplifiers in 2023 in California, isn't the best business model. I don't think anyone says that's a good idea. That's going to be a profitable thing. So we're very fortunate of where we're at. But like I said, we don't build for to a price point. We build the amplifier. We'll spend, I mean, we started the vintage deluxe before COVID and had it and we're just tweaking parts for three, four years to get it to exactly where we want it before we put it on, put it to market. Man. So it's, you know, my best friend, Matt Schofield, you know, often he compares it to the car analogy. We were talking about Porsches, but you would never go to the Porsche dealership and say, Oh, that's crazy. I, that's way too much money. I, I, it's not worth it to me. Well, if it's not, then it's okay. You know, it sounds, you know, it's not callous or anything. It's just saying, Hey, this is what it costs us to build. And this is what it, the price is. Yeah, it's like you you said earlier, there's nothing wrong with taking a, a Hot Rod Deluxe to a gig. And no. from an audience perspective, they're probably not going to know unless you're one of the, you know, few nerdy guitar players with your hands, your arms crossed in the back of the mm -hmm. venue, like trying to figure out what speaker is in his cabinet or whatever. Like it, it's more for 
the player and it doesn't matter if you're playing a two rock or a you know a blues deluxe or or anything like that it's just are you getting the sound that you want out of your rig and uh does it make you feel good when you play it does it make you feel does it make you respond to the sound does it make you inspired to play or are you fighting it you know we've all been there on stage where something's not right you, it's too tinny or too muddy and you're you're spinning the whole time worried about like you know your your sound and you're not playing well so yeah i can attest though like for a, a long time i was one of those people that was like oh, i mean those amps are expensive they're they're pricey you know and then having played luke's in london and then having played this one i'm one of those guys it's like okay no i get it i i see where the money's going here um so yeah that's uh that's awesome. And at least from my perspective, I think you hit the nail on the head. If it inspires you to practice and play and pull stuff out of you differently on stage or at home recording, well, then it's worth it's worth the money. You know, if you enjoy it and it inspires you, that's that's what we're building it for. Yeah. So you just mentioned the the new Vintage Deluxe, which I think are starting to ship to dealers now, I think. Yep. Right. Yeah. We just started shipping them two weeks ago. Yeah. So what drives your search for like the next sound like i'm sure a lot of this is based off experience with vintage amps and all the things that you've 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 played over the years but when you're thinking about what's next for what you guys are going to work towards like where does that start for you i mean there's there's a lot of layers to that i'm on, on the vintage deluxe that kind of the genesis of that amp was as you know i'm a huge black panel fender guy We've all talked amps a bunch. I have an obsessive. I've been collecting them for 25 years. So I think I have every model, every year, every model. It's, you know, and I always joke that if I take, you know, my 66 Vibra Lux Reverb or my 64 Deluxe Reverb out to a gig with a Telecaster and a Klon, I plug it in. I'm like, I'm good. I don't, I don't, I don't need anything else. This sounds totally great to me. So that's this amp. It's just trying to get that kind of intrinsical feel when you take one of those amps out and plug it in and just dials in, you put everything at 12 o'clock and you're good. So that was kind of the goal for that amp was, you know, to, to go there. Um, not bringing stuff to market is probably the hardest thing because we're all tinkerers and geeks and we have, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm in my studio now. I think we have five or six prototypes completely done in head shells, just ready to go to market, but the market can't take that many amps. And, Bill is always tinkering and bringing me ideas and I'm always tinkering and going back and forth. And we have so many amps to bring to market that it is hard to find which one we want to do next, but we're amp builders. That's why we, that's why we do it is because we're always on this search for the dream rig. So how do you make the decision on what to do next? I, that's a, that's a hard one. You know, it's, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an yeah. answer for that. You know, the, the deluxe was, was a big one. The Joey one was a big one. We do look at the product line as far as, you know, right now we're working on a couple of really cool overdrive amps with reverb and we don't want to compete with other things that we already have in the product line. Cause then guys go, well, I just have this one. Do I want to sell it to buy this one? It, it, it's hard to have that many models on the markets. So you have to not oversaturate your product line to get confused people. So I have to make them different enough that they can justify having one or the other or even both. If that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I know for us, sometimes there's, cause we'll, we'll make all sorts of prototypes and have them laying around. And, um, sometimes you'll play stuff and you're like, Oh, that's really cool. And you get excited about it. But like you said, if it's, there's too much overlap, then there's no reason. But 
oftentimes there'll be like something that will just switch a, a light bulb on in your head or something will happen and you'll just know that regardless of what overlap exists, you kind of have to chase that dragon until that product is out. Um, so yeah, I, I totally yeah. get the <laughs> having Mac, prototypes Mac is, everywhere. Mac is really good about helping me with that. And he always points out that if I'm gigging with the amp and I won't shut up about it, that's the one we should take to, that's the one we should take to market. I mean, I probably had 30, 40 gigs with the vintage deluxe before it actually went to market, loaned it to, you know, Matt was playing it, you know, all of our artists were playing it and going, this is a great amp. So if I won't shut up about it, that's when Max usually like, that's the one we should do. Cause you've been talking about it for, and you can also tell when things I'm not happy with something. If I'm kind of him, Han, he goes, yeah, it's not there yet. So he's a good barometer for that also. Yeah. So I want to talk about the Joey amp for a little bit. You know, that amp, I played it at Zach's. Yeah. It's gorgeous, gorgeous amp. Awesome. It has the coolest tremolo system I've ever played on an amp. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because it's it's quite a bit uh, unique from a lot of other amp tremolos out there, right? Yeah, that, that was actually the first amp we wanted to do when Mac and I bought the business. We were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to do a harmonic tremolo amp with reverb. That was just something that I was really excited about. Um, as, as you know, I mean, the, the, the Tweed Air amps up to 59 had bias tremolo in them, which actually takes the bias of the power tubes and adjusts it, and that's how they get it. And then the brown panel amps, 60 to 63, had the, you know, pitch shift and harmonic tremolo in it, which takes three preamp tubes to make work. So that's why Fender never, with the exception of the 63 uh, fiberverb, they never had the that with reverb in the same circuit. And then in 64, when the black panel came out, they went to the photo cell. So it's a complicated amp to have that many gain stages and to, to work the tremolo and then still have reverb in, in the amp. So that was a long thing. And then it was actually Bill that says, oh, let's put bias tremolo in it too while we're here. And it's like, yeah, might as well. So it has the harmonic tremolo, which takes three and a half preamp tubes, the reverb circuit that takes two and a half preamp tubes. And then we still have, you know, the phase inverter and, the, and V1 and, and whatnot in the amp. Um, so it's a, it's a unique amp. It was, my, I think my builders are done, glad that we're done with the run of 100. Because <laughs> even on the, the front two preamp tubes, we had to build little oscillators. We hand-wired them all on top of the tube sockets because we don't use any circuit boards or anything. So everything's hand-wired in there. So I think when we got to the 100th one done about a month ago, the guys were like, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think the, I think the, the amp came out great. And it was really fun to collaborate with Joey on it. And Zach, I think it was like 2017 or 18, you played the prototype at the we always rent a house for the NAMM show and you came out and played it. Yeah. And yeah, well, I, I, I main, mainly heard Joey and Matt play it, which was like, there's no reason to give a guitar to me after those two guys <laughs> are playing in the room. Um, the, the yeah, amp, so we, we, tweak that, we tweak that amp quite a bit. I mean, the, the final went to Joey five or six times. I have a boneyard of, you know, hacked up prototypes of this one has this reverb circuit in it. This one has this tremolo circuit in it. So we were proud of that amp. Yeah, it, it, it's a remarkable thing, and and it's so funny. I so I, I have a guitar very similar to Joey's Sorokin with a rap tail and humbuckers, 
And I watched his rig rundown and I came in and I switched all the switches, uh, the premier guitar rig rundown, by the way. Uh, I switched all the, the voicing switches and kind of set everything to be similar to how he had it. And I was like, man, that, that does sound like, I can't play like him, but it does sound just like him. Um, why, why did you go with 310? Was that just because of a bandmaster thing? Just wanting to experiment with something? Um, we, we've been playing with the 310 cabinet already, and that was going to be the stock cabinet for the, the vintage deluxe. I always like that impedance mix match of having, you know, 2.9 to 3.2 ohms going into four ohm, uh, tap. It just kind of bogs it down and gets squishy and spongy. I've, I've always really liked that. So built that cabinet and sent it to Joey and said, what do you think of this? And he's like, it's, it's, I love it. It works perfectly with that. And I don't think he'd ever played a 310. Uh, we have a 410 cabinet that I've loaned him a couple times, but it just worked with the amp really well. So I want to ask you about the Dumble thing. I know you've spent a lot of time playing Dumbles and, and you know, hearing them and, and uh, in some cases messing around with them. In your mind, what makes a Dumble amp special? Like what's what's the hype all about? I mean, they were obviously, he was the first to do the Cascade and Gain Stage large power supply, really touch sensitive. Uh, he was the original kind of boutique amplifier. And they're all so different that it's hard to say what makes this one particularly special. You know, I love the steel string singer because it's the huge, I'm always looking for the most amount of headroom. I think we've talked about that. You know, we've both talked about it. I have a bunch of overdrive pedals, but I don't have any clean pedals. So I'm always looking for the most three-dimensional large overdrive clean amp that I can put pedals and stuff in front of. And that was one of the things I've always loved about the Dumbles is the huge bandwidth, the low end when you snap the, snap the E string, you know, the Stevie thing. That's what I'm always looking for is, is that, and then have the, the top end not be harsh. I mean, if you plug in a silver face twin, it's big and loud, but it's not pretty a lot of the time. You know, I'm a huge Fender geek, but the top end hurts your ears. Um, the main thing with, with, you know, the Dumbles and I hope translates to, what we've tried to do with the two rock thing, just looking at it as inspiration is there's not frequencies that hurt your ears. And that's, that's a big thing for me. When my ears get fatigued and I'm voicing something and playing it, if my ears start ringing from the top end or it's too mid heavy and I can't get that honk out of it, that's not appealing. And we try to dial all of that stuff out. And that's one thing that Alexander was able to do is, is get all of those frequencies. So they're pleasant to the ear and not hurt while still having huge soundscape kind of tones i think there's a common well that and i don't even know if, i don't know all the details of this so it's a good question to ask uh everyone probably assumes that all the two rock stuff are just outright dumbled clones i don't believe that to be true i mean obviously the vintage lux is not um but can you speak on that because i think a lot of people just you know figure that's the, the case yeah i mean we're always going to be i mean if you look at the aesthetic of them obviously you know we're tilting our tipping our hat to it but I mean, for me, I love Telecasters. I like old school stuff. There's some looks that just look right to me. And that look just looks gr great to me. We've learned a lot from him, but we pull, I think, just as much from vintage fenders as we do from, from the Dumble thing, as far as inspiration and how the, how, how the amp works. We don't make a direct Dumble clone. That would actually be very easy for us to say, here's a copy of this amplifier. That would be a lot easier than trying to explain to the to marketplace what the silver sterling signature does or what the TS one or Bloomfield done. If we just said, this is a copy of number two, that that'd be an easy, much easier thing for us to engineer and sell. So it's kind of stealing 
things that we've, you know, inspiration, just like if you're playing guitar licks, you, you borrow from your favorite guitar players. We've taken stuff from the, from the Dumble amps that we've all been able to play and work on, but we also pull from the Fender amps and also pull from our own, you know, designs that we've figured out over the years. So like I said, we don't have an actual Dumble clone. We did have one that looked like it, but before Alexander died, we did get in some email conversations and got to know him, not in a friend way, but at least had some correspondence with him. And at that point is when it's like, you know what? We don't even want to make one that's that close because it was just uncomfortable. So when you're dialing in an amp, you know, what what are those, some of those things you mentioned, like the high end and the mid range, what are some things that stick out to you as being really positive qualities of an amp. Like when you, when you're dialing in a circuit and you found the thing and you're like, this is, this is it. What what are you looking for in that? You know, once again, I'll go back to the feeling thing. A lot of it's how it's feeling. If it's too harsh or stiff, you know, sometimes want a faster power supply. If we're building an amp with out reverb and an overdrive channel, I do like a faster power supply. If you're playing something reverb, sometimes I want a little bit more bounce to it. Um, you know, it's easy to get too mid heavy that you can't dial that out sometimes, you know, playing a Strat or a Telecaster and it sounds awesome. And then you pick up a Les Paul or a 335 guitar and it's like, Oh, now, I, now I have the bass off mid off and it's still too mid heavy. So getting it to work with a bunch of different guitars is, is a big deal. Getting the overdrive circuit that the front end is hot enough and comfortable that you like it, but then the overdrive channel isn't harsh and brittle, you know, is a hard balance and act with overdrive amps. So there's a lot of different things that we, that we look at. Yeah. That's one thing I like, you know, this amp, the classic reverb is the hundred watt version. And I've got other hundred watt amps that when you start pushing them, like the, the Plexi, which completely different amp and everything. But when you start pushing it, even when it's clean, it's, you can't really be in the same room with it. It's loud, but it also kind of hurts to be around. And the thing about this amp that I enjoyed when I first got it is, turned on and basically turned it almost all the way up and it was loud. I mean, it was, you know, really moving air, but it was not, uh, painful. It didn't feel like it was pulling the paint off of the walls. Like, like my Marshall does, uh, or, or some other big amps. And, um, yeah, I'm just wondering if that's, if that's something that you're looking for, like with the bandwidth thing, like it's, it's loud, but it's not harsh. And, and, you know, not sure what my question is there, but we really do use the wattage for tone and feeling because it sounds good to play loud, but I'm, you know, I have in the studio right now, I have a super bass Marshall mic'd up. You can't be in the same room for it. It's downstairs because you, you can't even be in the area with it. Um, pe- people thought Mac and I were crazy when we went to the first damn show in 2017, because at that time the market was really going towards 18 and 20 watt amps. You know, people were getting away from big amps and, I was like, I'm, I'm building what I like. I like big hundred watt amps. We built 150 watt Sterling, which is one of our popular models with four sixty five fifties in it, because I like that low end that's tight and holds together. So people thought we were insane until they started playing it. You know, we have very usable potentiometers in it. We have a transformer that we specifically designed that when you put it in half power mode, doesn't change the phase or the impedance of the amplifier. So we're able to play it at lower volumes as well as, you know, with, with pop values and just how we voice the amp. It's not, you know, like we touched on before, it's not painful. Those frequencies don't hurt. 
yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely a push for, especially in a live context, stage volumes getting quieter. A lot of times touring friends of mine are, are having to play with no stage volume. They're, they're going direct with some kind of modeler or they have a cabinet off stage. And I don't know. I, th- I feel like that you're losing something there as a guitar player. You're, you're losing half of the equation when you don't have the amp and the guitar interacting on stage together. It's, it's, it just doesn't do the same thing. I mean, th- there's, there's definitely a reason for it, but I just want to go home. <laughs> if I'm playing somewhere and my, my tone's bad and I can't push my amp, I, I just want to leave because I'm having no fun. And it's, I, that's why I play live is because I like, you know, I'll bring two or three amps out. I'm always swap. I'll do one set with one amp, go to another amp for the second one, play some, cause you're always tweaking and stuff. But if I can't get my amp cranked up to where it's comfortable for me, I, I just don't want to do it. And you, you already touched on our master volume, which is something we put a lot of work into. You can actually turn that gain up to two or three o'clock. So the, the amp feels like it's up loud. You're pushing it and then back down the master and still have it usable. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't compress too easy. That's, that's the other thing too. It's literally just like, you're just turning it down. It's not breaking up sooner. It's not losing dynamic or feel or any of that stuff. It's really impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, I don't, I don't like compression. You know, if I want compression, then I'll put on a compressor pedal, which, you know, I, I, because you can't get it back once it's compressed. So if an amp starts to compress, you're, you're done. Kind of like, I'm not a huge fan of speaker breakup. I think Zach and I talked about that a while ago. Once, once the speaker's broken up, I, I have nothing I can do with it. It's a great tone. I love a 5e3 turned up and broken up, but once it's there, I can't clean it up. I can roll the volume control off, but that's about it. So I don't like having things that I can't control in my signal chain and compression and speaker breakup are two things that you can't really control live. So try to avoid compression. And that's, that's the, that's the fun thing about this business is, you know, I just get to build my dream guitar rig. That's all I do. You know, we just go around and like, we want one of these. I want this amp, want this amp. It's not like we're not building to the market. It's just what inspires us at that particular time to build that amp. And that's, that's what we do. That's awesome. Um, you guys have a pretty remarkable artist roster. Uh, how's that feel? Because I know for me, having a, a pedal brand, when I see people uh, who even just know who Mythos is, I get really excited. But but knowing that there are, I have players that I admire and respect using my stuff to make music with it is like one of the best feelings in the world. And I can only imagine... For you, it's it's a similar experience. I'm just hoping it doesn't break on stage. We go, <laughs> yep. We go to shows and we watch watch our artists play, and I'm just like, oh, don't blow a tube, don't blow <laughs> something silly. No, but honestly, it's um, no, it's an honor. You know, I know you had Eric Johnson on here, you know, last month, and he's he's a you know dear friend of ours, and I I get to fly to his place in Austin and you know tweak on his amps and stuff in his studio, and you know we go to all these concerts, and every once in a while it does hit you that you'll at a show and you're like, wow, there's, there's five T-Rocks on this stage. That's pretty cool. We built that. I, I think it's hard to find that work-life balance that you enjoy some of that stuff sometimes because you get so caught up in the mix. And I mean, you know, that that's, you have these heroes of yours your entire life. Then once you get to know them, they're just your buddies that you talk to on the phone. It's not like they're a famous person. So sometimes you get caught up in the mix, at least I do, of running the business, trying to get the amps out there, trying to get them stuff for tour that you don't enjoy it. But it is nice every once in a while when you go to the show and you're just kicking back going, wow, they're all playing stuff that we built. 
you know, in our little shop. That's awesome. So it does give you that sense of pride for sure. There's, there's another thing that, that someone told me I was at a, I was at a damn party and there was this, this random, it was a pedal builder thing, but this was random guy had wandered in and he was, uh, talking to us and he said, you know, little parts of you are like all over the world. Like all these little, these devices that you put your, your heart and soul into are going to be here hopefully way after you're gone. And I was like, wow, that's such a heavy thought that, that, you know, I've made something that will last. And like that, I mean, that's something I have to remind my friends like you, that Hey, like, because it's turning my beard white, like working in this industry and it's, it takes its toll on you. But, uh, at the end of the day, when you think about you have people that are making music with stuff that you, you built well and should ideally last forever, you know, uh, as long as you take care of it, like that's, that's so, so awesome. You know? Yeah. Mac and I always talk, we have such a huge respect for the guys that actually buy our amplifiers and play them because it's hard to come up with money for anything, you know, especially expensive gear, especially when you, when you have, wife and kids and mortgages and responsibilities to say, I'm going to spend five grand to buy a guitar amp. That's a big investment. And I always get a lot of pride when I see people buy the amp and say, I'm going to put this in my house. I love this. I used a bunch of my hard earned money. And I think that's why we put so much effort in customer service and helping guys out. And if they have issues, making sure their stuff is working and always dialed in for them because we don't take it lightly. The guys are spending that kind of money on our equipment because it is pricey and it is hand built and it, it means the world to us. And I think that's a lot of our amps, like, you know, the classic reverb and the Sterling. And I always think of back to Leo when he said he had the super reverb, he had the deluxe reverb, he had the Vibrolux. And those are iconic amps that have like withstand the test of time. And that's kind of my personal passion in the back of my brain is hopefully these amps are around for 30, 40 years. And that'll be one of those staple that people listen back to. Eric Johnson and Joey and Matt and all these guys go, Oh, he was playing a classic reverb silver chassis at that time. And that does feel good. That's one of the things I love about this industry is, you know, behind all these brands, you know, like Zach or, or you, or, uh, you know, divided by 13, you know, Fred, like they're, they're just people. And I've been lucky over the last five years, five and a half years to get to know a lot of, people builders in this industry in different sectors of it, you know, guitar builders, pedal builders, amp builders, and they're all incredibly interesting, a little weird and pretty much all good people. Like there's, there's just a lot of really good down to earth people in this industry. And, um, yeah, I think you're one of them, man. It's, it's, uh, thank you. Yeah. It's been, it's been cool to get to know you and, and talk to you, uh, over the last few months and, just have one one more question before we wrap up here. As as a certified amp nerd and builder, what's on your Mount Rushmore of guitar amps? Oh man, uh, I should scroll the camera over and show you my my horrible amp wall of. <laughs> um, for me, Super Reverb, you know, that's dialed in right is 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 really hard to beat. If I'm going British old JTM 45, you know, is, is really hard to beat. But for me, it's, it's the black panel fender stuff. I can, I can pretty much take any one of those out to a gig and dial it in and be like, I'm good. It's awesome. And I've, I've, you know, I've played, 
I don't want to say I've played everything, but I think I've played just about everything over the years. But those old amps still, and that's one thing that would were you asked about voice and amplifiers and whatnot. In my office, I do have, you know, my old 60s fenders and a couple tweeds and a JTM 45. And our amps have to at least do what those amps do, or I would just play one of those amps. And that's that familiarity. Let if the top end doesn't feel like an old fender that I love and the low end doesn't hold together like a plexi, why bring it to market? I would just buy that amp. So yeah, Man. I feel that. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> On the black panel thing, the first time I got to play like a good black panel deluxe, like a 64, I believe it was. Cause they're all so different, you know, some yep. of them have aged better than others. And, and then with component variants, when they were built, you know, each one kind of is its own special little, you know, thing. But uh, the first time I got to play a really good one, it was one of those epiphany moments of, Oh, I get this now. Yeah. I see, I see what, what people are on about with this. So the first time you play a really good tweed deluxe or a really great AC 30 or something, it's like, okay, now, now I get it. And it's, 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 it's hard to find those and it's getting harder and harder now. Cause I feel like, yeah, there's, there's so much good gear right now. I mean, to, to, to pivot on what you said, you're talking about all the great builders and stuff. And I think that's why we're in the golden era of gear. Everyone always says that for the last 20 years of whole, this is the golden era of boutique gear. But what I think is so cool about the industry now, Josh Scott from JHS, he's told me, he goes, boutique used to mean grumpy old guy with shitty customer service. That's what, that's what the boutique industry used to be. And now it's all these young guys that are cool. Everyone gets along with each other. We're all bouncing ideas off each other. And like you said earlier, Zach, that's what's fun for me is all of the other builders and all the people. And I think that's what's cool is there is people behind them and it's fun. Thanks for coming on, dude. It's uh, oh, thanks for having me. It's always awesome. a joy to get to talk to you. And um, yeah, hopefully we could do it, get to do it again soon. And yeah. where can everyone go to learn more about your amplifiers? The internet. <laughs> just, uh, Google it. just Google it. Yeah, Google it. It's not, you know, we, you know, www.2-rock.com. Our Instagram has probably the most updated content on it. Um, dealers are always good resources for, you know, products and models or shoot us an email. Man, Eli is awesome. He's genuinely one of the most interesting people I've gotten to know in this industry. He's like a bit of a Renaissance man. We didn't even talk mm -hmm. about, apparently he's like a chess wizard, which I didn't know. <sighs> He, he like every, every time I hang out with him for any period of time longer than just like a few minutes, I learn something new about him. And I'm like, how, how do you have time to even think about that sort of stuff? That's <laughs> what I'm concerned. like, wait, how, where's, where do you get this time? Like, can you, what's that Adam Sandler movie with the, the remote that he could stop time or something? Maybe Eli's oh, got that kind of thing oh. going on where he's like, <laughs> just stop time and go work on rebuilding his old Porsche. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Uh, but yeah, what a, what a guy and what, what great amps. I mean, like now you're, you're in the fold. I've, I've been well-versed in the, the church of school, uh, school rock, the church of schoolhouse two, rock, two rock, the two churches uh, of two rock, <laughs> which I, I and, learned recently that two rocks actually a place. It's not just the name of an amp. It's an actual town in California, like not oh, far cool. from, it's like I said, the North of the Bay area or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, if you ever get the opportunity to play one, and, and they're available to you to try, go check them out. They're remarkable. Everything what Eli said is true. They, they really do. As soon as you start playing them, you feel a connection, uh, not only to the amp, but like to your guitar. It really just, it, it kind of like wakes your hands up in a way. It's very interesting, but yeah, yeah. they're definitely worth trying. It is. It, yeah. There's something to them, man. There really, really is something to them. So 
Nice. So, uh, we ready to shill? Yes. Cool. You, uh, you want me to go first? I got mine right here. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, right. I got mine too. But. So I've been uh, doing some, some videos recently with uh, my friend Ben Calhoun, uh, formerly of Righteous, now at Big House Guitars. We've do, been doing this like pro guitar tech series. And mm-hmm. um, he reminded me. So we, we've talked about Deox at D5 on uh, yes. on the show quite a bit. I know I've shielded it before. I think you've probably shielded it before. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't know, Deoxid is like this wonder spray that you use on everything. Cleans pots, cleans cables, you know, it, it kind of does everything. But Deoxid makes another product that you should also get when you get a can of, of D5, which is the Fader Lube F5. So with pots specifically, I actually didn't know this. Um, when you use the Deoxid, you're, you know, cleaning out the the potentiometer and the wiper on the potentiometer but you need to replace what you cleaned out with another lubricant which is what this does it's called fader lube i got it for my tascam 388 because the faders were kind of crunchy feeling and stuff and it, it worked great on that but it's basically just a spray lubricant that's safe for electronics and again it's kind of like a uh what's that hot sauce the, the like frank's red hot or whatever it's like you put that yeah. shit on everything uh-huh. Ben was telling me like, yeah, he uses this on saddles on, you know, stuck saddles on electric guitars. He uses this anywhere. You might need a little bit of a, a lubricant that's safe on plastics, safe on electronics. Um, deoxid, right. Fader lube. Cool. I need to get some of that. And, and uh, as a PSA to everyone out there listening, do not ever use WD 40 inside your electronics uh-huh. on your guitar. Don't yeah. do it. It's not for that. It will ruin them. <laughs> You can use it on a door hinge. You could use it on the springs of your saddle. You can use it on uh, your bike. It's good your water bike. displacer. Yeah. Use it on but, your drivetrain, your bicycle, something like that. But yeah, I agree. Do not put it in your uh, your pots or your electronics. It, it'll mess it up. Uh, I have a shill that I think I shilled a long time ago, but we, we've actually, we missed our, th- our three-year anniversary for the show. Oh, we did? <laughs> yeah. So we've been oh. doing this for a little over three years. Um, but I was going through all my stuff. You and I both recently have been feeling um, like we need to clean house with all the mm-hmm. gear. And I found this thing, the Spruce Acadia. Let's say focus. So this is made by Spruce Effects. And all of the artwork is kind of uh, reminiscent of old uh, National Park yeah. uh, paraphernalia and stuff. But these pedals are built on turret board. And there oh, you go. rad. So they're uh, super cool, uh, mostly fuzzes that have a ton of controls. And usually when you see a fuzz that has five knobs, you're like, why, why, does, it have, why does it have five knobs? But these all work <laughs> and, and it sounds good. And you can make it do overdrive or fuzz. But um, these are all like a limited thing that he does. Um, and it's just something that you should check out. Check out Spruce Effects. All of his pedals are like, they're not all built to this insane spec, but they're all really nice. And one of my favorite things, I don't know if this will show up, but there's a trimmer in there. Let's see. Can I get it in the light? And it uh, just yeah, says, yeah. it says don't, uh, <laughs> to not touch it, which Sounds I like love. Just, just don't. Sounds like something Tyler from Acorn Amps would do. Yeah. I, yeah. I love that. But yeah, Spruce Effects. Nice. There you go. But, uh, <clears throat> But yeah, yet again, want to thank all our patrons over on Patreon. Click the link in the description or the show notes to find all the information about supporting Dipped in Tone over there on Patreon. And submit your rigs. Don't forget. Yes. You can, we'll, we'll double dip. 
but it has to be a different rig. And uh, also thank you to Sweetwater for sponsoring today's episode. We have links in the description to, uh, to all that stuff down there. So uh, yeah, don't forget to subscribe if you're on YouTube. Yes. And if you're listening on your podcast platform of choice, leave us a kind review and rating. It helps new people find the show. So yeah. All right. Until cool. next time. See you.